and welcome to another episode of the Advocates Academy. The Advocates Academy is brought to you by the Women and Gender Resource Center at the University of Alabama. I'm Lizzie Smith, and I'm your host. The Advocates Academy is a podcast for students, faculty, and staff who are looking for ways to engage in advocacy and social justice work on their campus, in their career, and in their day-to-day lives. Today, we're speaking with Sheena Gregg, no relation to Brittany Gregg, our previous guest, uh, to share her experiences as an Asian American woman and a registered dietitian at UA. In this episode, we'll talk about Sheena's experiences navigating childhood as a person with Chinese and Filipino heritage, some of the nuances of serving people with Asian Pacific Islander Desi American heritage, and We'll also talk about some strategies for being a better ally to people who are different from us. Before we get started, I want to warn you that despite Sheena's grace and professionalism, I was a disaster during this episode. If you're listening and feel like I'm rambling more than usual, you're right. Um, Just know that I edited as much of my own ramblings out as possible, and throughout it all, Sheena was a delight and a real trooper. Uh, thank you, Sheena, for your encouragement and patience in our interview today. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. We are here today with Sheena, and she is going to tell us a little bit about herself. Hi, Sheena. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Sheena Gregg, and I work as a registered dietitian at UA. I have been in my position for over 10 years now, which is actually crazy to say um, out loud. I'm a, I'm a proud <laughs> alum of UA, uh, both with undergrad and grad school. So obviously, I love it here at the Capstone. Um, but I was born and raised in Fort Payne, Alabama, which is uh, the northeast corner of the state, a, a little over two hours from Tuscaloosa, and mm-hmm. um, have just always called the state of Alabama my home. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, I'm so excited to have you here today, and I'm so happy to talk to you um, about this really important topic that we're going to be covering for the next couple of episodes. Um, So today's episode is an observance of Asian Pacific Islander Desi American Heritage Month, and I want to begin the episode by um, asking you to tell us why this Heritage Month is important and what it means to you. So I, you know, the fact that this Heritage Month exists, to me, just really... um, just really provides a a lot of experience for me to experience pride, Um, especially to growing up in a small town, Alabama. I did not necessarily have the opportunity to socialize with other Asian Americans that were my age. And when we think Mm -hmm. about American history, you know, I think we have a lot of different like generalizations of thing, historical moments, but I think it's very difficult for us as a society or as Americans in general to really think about contributions that Asian Americans have um, have contributed over the years as well, and 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 even for me as an Asian American, um, and I think that a lot of that is due to you know how our history books were written and everything mm-hmm. else. And so I you know I think about my family uh, immigrating to the U.S. and really taking it as an opportunity to live the American dream. And so many of the contributions of Asian Americans have really just been part of that drive and that passion to live the American dream and to better themselves and to better the country overall. So it's kind of cool to to really highlight um, so many of those accomplishments uh, during this month of May. 
Oh, I agree with you so much. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to get to interview you today because uh, this Heritage Month happens in May, which for uh, folks who work at universities where we, you know, tend to observe Heritage Months, mm-hmm. May is a, is a difficult month to do that kind of work mm-hmm. with because if students are still there, they're taking finals and then they're out. And so there's no opportunity for programming or anything like that. Um, and it means that this Heritage Month often gets overlooked. So no, well, I am. I'm just honored because I don't know if I told you this, Lizzie, before um, we got started today, but this is actually my um, first time participating in um, something related to Asian American Pacific Islander Month. Um, and so I just, I don't know. It's just, it, it's given me so much excitement this week. And I've been talking to my husband about it and my parents and um, just thank you for uh, providing this platform for me. Oh, you are so welcome. Yeah, we're Oh gosh, I'm so thrilled to talk to you today. Okay, okay. Um, so, in our conversation today, I'd like to discuss your experiences as a member of this community. Um, but before we get into specifics of of how you've experienced, you know, this identity and 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 how that deals with the intersections of other identities that you have and the things that make you wonderful, uh, would you would you describe for us how how you identify with the Asian American community? Yes, so I would proudly describe myself as a Filipina American, and um, also too with a part of my heritage on my mother's side of my family. My great grandfather was um, Chinese, so it's wonderful mm-hmm. being able to have both a Filipino and Chinese background. Ground. Um, I think for Filipinos in particular, they're, um, they're that country in and of itself had a lot of different influences. And so mm-hmm. sometimes, um, you know, that gets overlooked. So it's, it's just cool to be able to educate those that I work with or those that I'm close with just about what it means to be Filipino, because a lot of times people's experiences might just be from what they might see in in the, in the media, whether through like a Mm -hmm. movie or TV show, or maybe having a random neighbor that was Filipino. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and let's see, let's, uh, start by, oh no, here goes my dog. (laughs) Um, it's, yeah, this is just what happens. Uh, we'll edit bits and pieces of this out and there'll be a little bit of, of Matilda, the pit bull background noise. Um, but, uh, could you tell us how, um, How has growing up Asian American impacted you and the way you view the world? You know, I think that, you know, first and foremost, I would not give up my identity for anything. Now, if you were to have um, asked me that same question uh, when I was younger, I might not have uh, said that statement with as much pride because I, I do feel like as a young child in a small rural town in Alabama, um, it felt a little bit more difficult being Asian American. But throughout the years, I've really seen it as having this unique lens of just having just such an incredible, um, I guess for lack of better words, just really appreciation of the diversity of our world. Uh, When I have talked with friends that I grew up with and their experiences or just, you know, their mindset about things, I realized, wow, like, they've not seen the other side of the world in terms of what I would call, you know, third world struggles and and things of that nature. And that's not any fault of their own, but I feel like 
you know, knowing that's where my parents came from, I, it gave me just such an extreme gratefulness for any kind of um, opportunity that my parents were able to give me. And so I feel like that has um, really shaped so much of my identity is um, just having a sense of gratefulness for any kind of opportunity uh, that I've been given. And when I think about the sacrifices that my parents made coming from a country that they were so familiar with, and then all of a sudden coming to the U.S. So that has really, um, you know, that's just shaped so much of, of who I am overall. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, so just to kind of illustrate this for folks that are listening who maybe have never um, thought about what it's like to, you know, be a part of a family that comes from so many different places and has so many different experiences, um, and, and views, you know, living in the United States in the way that you do. Do you have a story that you could share with us that might illustrate this aspect of your experience? I, I definitely do. You know, as I mentioned, um, I grew up in a small town in Alabama, um, Fort Payne, my hometown was previously known as the salt capital of the world. So that's your fun fact of the day. So there was a lot lot of um, uh, just a, a lot of different hosiery meals there. Um, one of the other local towns had um, a lot of local chicken plants and people or listeners may be wondering why she's sharing this. But um, essentially in this small town, because we were the quote unquote token Asian family, it was always me having to explain what I was or who I was to other people. And um, if that's not something that you've experienced before, it's kind of annoying. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, and I hate to say it that way. And with the industries that we have um, in my hometown and some of the local areas in North Alabama, I know in the early 90s, there was actually this influx of um of Hispanic immigrants that came and um, and started working in these industries. And so, you know, any work that I had done, and I'm, I'm using the word work very accurately, any work that I had done to educate my classmates in first or second grade or my teachers and explain to them that I was Asian American or that I was Filipino completely got erased because now all of a sudden I was lumped into being Hispanic because, you know, they saw someone who was my same skin color. And, um, and, and then prior to to the influx of the Hispanic immigrants. Um, I actually remember in kindergarten um, being called the N-word um, by a second grader. And, you know, I did not know what that was. But, you know, unfortunately for that second grader, I think that that was just a word that represented anything that was not that person's color. And, and, and this second grader was Caucasian. And so, you know, just to think that so many over 30 years ago that happened, that that's still is something that sticks with me. Um, and really, I think, you know, part of the theme of my life has had to be explaining who I am. Um, I don't know why I'm getting emotional about it. I guess it's the first time I've really reflected on it, but I feel like that has been so much of my experience as far as explaining who I am or once people figured out, oh, she's Asian, and then they apply certain stereotypes to that, like, oh, she uh, must be smart, or she'll, you know, she'll do really yeah. well in math. You know, that's kind of annoying too. So, <laughs> For um, <sure>. yeah, <laughs> um, I, you know, I, and that's kind of just in a nutshell. There's, you know, so many different um, stories that I can explain, but I, I mean, I think really the overarching theme in this is really having to repetitively explain who I was or what I was um, in a small town where there was not a lot of other people that looked like me and my family. I think a lot of times folks that haven't had to 
haven't had to have conversations with folks about the ways in which they're different don't think about what it's like to constantly be defining yourself in opposition to other folks um, and what it's like to constantly be, constantly be fighting for that identity and fighting against misconceptions and uh, uh, and preconceptions that other people might have. Mm-hmm. It's a really powerful story and I, and I appreciate you sharing it. Absolutely. Um, okay. So could you also, because none of us are made up of just one part of ourselves. We're all, you know, kind of a, a, a mismatch of all of the different things that make us who we are. And that's wonderful and, and beautiful and complicated. Um, but uh, could you, could you speak a little bit to how being both a woman and identifying as Asian American uh, changed the way you make meaning of the world? You know, I think um, part of that goes back to even some of the stereotypes that people have about mm-hmm. Asians in general, or maybe even women in general, I um, actually can recall a specific experience in um, in high school. I had um, dated a guy, and and we subsequently dated for about nine years. Almost got married, and then did not, which I'm totally okay with. But um, I remember at the beginning of that relationship, and I was actually really shocked that he shared this with me. But he um, was telling he. He told me that he was telling his uncle about me and his uncle had, you know, said like, oh, you know, I bet she's a great girlfriend. I bet she doesn't talk back and she's really subservient. And, you know, and I, I, yeah, I was just like, (laughs) what? And, um, you know, I'm just thinking like, wait a second. Like, I I guess I just didn't even think about my um, heritage, even factoring into my personality. I mean, it, it, it does in some ways, obviously, just because so much of that makes up our personality. But for Mm -hmm. him to, I guess, equate my skin color to what my personality or demeanor would be like was, Mm -hmm. um, was very irritating. And then especially as, um, as a female in general too, uh, because I, you know, if I had to be really honest, I, I honestly, I considered myself to be much smarter than this person that I was dating. (laughs) Um, And in some ways just kind of was like, no, you're not going to just kind of like belittle me as this thing. I'm this, you know, strong, very smart woman with goals. And, um, and so that was just kind of irritating in and of itself. And, um, and, you know, I, I, and and that experience definitely um, stands out for sure. But I think also too, just, you know, when I think about the female perspective and then the attachment with being a minority in the U.S., it does go back to explaining who I am and really proving who um, who I was. Um, part of the dynamic for me in my college experience as well was the fact that I was not in a sorority. And, you Mm -hmm. know, of course, you know, at the University of Alabama, our Greek organizations are strong and and very active. And um, during the time frame that I was at UA, you know, I really felt very um, self-conscious about not being part of the Greek system. And so it, it, you know, it was almost part of a task to me to really, you know, try to prove to myself, oh, I can get in all these really high level senior honoraries. I'm going to be in the Anderson Society or Mortar Board or whatever (laughs) else to prove that I 
I could be the, I, I, you know, I hate to use this acronym, but, you know, the GDI, um, who's mm-hmm. also a minority, um, get in like, hey, I can compete with with the best of them. And so in some ways, I think a lot of this adversity um, I'm grateful for because it, it did push me. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, I, I also wish that it did not always come from such a negative mindset either. Like I wish that I hadn't have even been in a position to quote unquote, have to prove myself. I should have just been accepted who I, for who I was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I, I think that a lot of people would listen to that story and, and think that it was inspirational and that's nice, but at the same time, you're right. Like that's not, it's not fair for any person to have to, you know, reach for, you know, reach for academic achievement and, and personal achievement for any other reason than their own self-ratification for any other reason Mm -hmm. than, you know, their own goals. Um, and I, and I think that a lot of folks who have had the privilege to, to be able to make those choices for themselves based on what they want for themselves and not because of the way they think other people perceive them or because of the way that they, other people do perceive them have never thought about, you know, what, what a lot of people, um, who, who have high achieving backgrounds, um, have, have had to go through in order to get there, but also, the that the reasons for for doing those things aren't as simple as them wanting to achieve a lot because um because it's what they wanted but rather that there is this there are these preconceptions and and marginalizations out there that that folks have to um have to oh my goodness what is the word um um have to overcome Let's see, we've already kind of talked about misconceptions that folks have about you. Do you have any other misconceptions that you've experienced that you'd like to talk about that folks have in regards to your identity or experiences? You know, I think... Well, you know, when I think about certain misconceptions that people have about me, because actually, you know, was just thinking about a conversation that I had with a friend about this and um, and actually with um, this opportunity to be on the podcast was I think that there was this misconception that because I am an Asian American that was actually born in the U.S., like I didn't, you know, like. I, I didn't quote unquote have any struggles. And, you know, honestly, I, I do have to recognize that in so many ways, uh, my experience getting to uh, be born in the U.S. compared to some of my cousins that later immigrated, you know, in their mid teens, early teens, early 20s. Um, I did have a little bit of an easier experience, but I don't think that that negates some of the, um, you know, just the the less good things um, that have really happened. And a lot of those were illustrated in those stories because I think, you know, in some ways it kind of made it worse because, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, like I'm legit. I was born here. I've got the Southern accent, you know, yeah. and, and then, you know, I, I remember an experience with my mom at, at Walmart because all things happen at Walmart. Walmart. And, um, I'm just, I'm looking at Tupperware and this man, you know, he smiles at me and hands me this business card and walks off. And, um, I look at the card and it was for, um, ESL classes and, um, and the card was in Spanish. And so I like made a point to walk over to him and I was like, sir, I was like, I think you should give this to someone who actually needs it. Um, like I can speak English, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I really, I could have gone to space where, oh, I can't believe 
believe you think I'm Hispanic or I can't believe you think I speak Spanish. And, and I didn't go there. I just, you know, I really wanted to politely just say like, hey, I don't need this. And, you know, and in my mind, because I'm not constantly looking in a mirror. So I, I am not always 100% of the where that I'm different from my peers. And, mm-hmm. um, and so when there are those random moments where people remind me that, Hey, you look different, it kind of throws me off guard. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, and, and to, I will, what I will say about, um, Asian Americans in general is that, you know, there are those um, negative stereotypes, but I think at the same time, there are some, I guess, positive stereotypes for lack of better words, where, you know, there's those positive associations like, oh, they're smart, they're hardworking, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And so, um, and so to live up to some of those, um, to those perceptions as well can be a difficulty. And I, and I think I might've kind of alluded to that earlier in some other stories. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that. Um, so as we move on a little bit, I wanted to ask you, uh, so Asia and the Pacific islands are a huge geographical area absolutely. with a ton of different cultures and, um, and experiences and perceptions and, and, and perspectives. And it seems like a lot of people don't know very much about it. So we've just got this one heritage month that's supposed to cover this giant swath of all of these different people with all of these different experiences. And I, I think that, um, it's entirely possible that there are a ton of issues and things about folks from these parts of the world that people just are ill-informed about. So I wanted to ask, are there some issues or concerns that folks often overlook that, um, that matter to you? Well, you know, I mean, Lizzie, what you've, you know, just mentioned right off of the bat, there is just, um, the, um, the continent of Asia is just so diverse in and of itself. I think it has around 48 countries and, you know, and, and even among those 48 countries, yeah, the, the culturally so different. And, um, and I think, you know, really, you know, what I would want people to be aware of is just that there is, um, that diversity. I think that it can be very easy to generalize Asia as maybe just a sector of three or four countries only, but, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think just to have a little bit more self-awareness that, um, there is this, this rich culture that's in there, because if I were to think about, um, you know, someone in Europe and, you know, as someone from a particular country in Europe, you know, people automatically assuming, oh, you must be English, you know, that mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure that they would be irritated at that. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and just as someone who is from a particular country in Asia being generalized as being Chinese or Japanese or anything else. And so I think if, if I could just get people to realize that there are more than just three or four countries in Asia in general, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, I think sometimes a lot of people's experiences with different Asian countries may be from what they are seeing in the media, whether it is the news and, you know, what countries we are, quote unquote, at war with um, and, and having military troops, unfortunately, or, you know, who are we having a trading war with? And, um, 
it, it, unfortunately in our media, there's just, there's not as much, or there's not as much coverage of stories that I'm seeing of positive relationships. And I feel that that does, um, conditionalize people to having a, um, a negative, um, connotation of, of Asians, Asian Americans. And oh my goodness, with the COVID-19 crisis, it has, you know, broken my heart, especially as someone with Chinese heritage, that there has been, um, there has been a lot of hate towards Asian Americans. Um, I I read a story from a colleague about her um, father, who was Chinese American, going to um, a particular large store. I think it might've been like a Lowe's or a Home Depot. And Mm -hmm. the, um, the person at the customer service desk, like as she saw him approaching, you know, just like put this cloud of Lysol all around him, did not do that for any other customers like before oh. or after him. And, and he was not particularly, or he just did not seem irritated, but then told his daughter and, you know, she really blew up and I would have done the same thing. I, I think I'm more protective of any kind of, um, negative experiences that my parents or other family members have than me. Cause I kind of like, Oh, I can take it. You know, this is just this ignorant, stupid person, blah, 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 blah. But when, when my parents are attacked, you know, it's, it's just a completely different thing. I just, I don't know. I'm, you know, cause I'm generally a nice person, but I am not a nice person when my family <laughs> is attacked. So, um, so I know I was so long winded with that, but overall, I think if people can just have more of a self-awareness that there are so many different countries that represent Asia and to just not, stereotype or generalize Asians just being made up of this handful of like three, four, or even five countries, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, 100% with you. And I, and I'm the same way, um, when it comes to like people doing and saying terrible things, like if, if it comes to like, if they say it to me, it bothers me a lot less than if it's to like, you know, a family or a student that I work with or something like that. And all of a sudden, like mama bear absolutely mode kicks in and it's just like, how dare you? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally there. And I think that a lot of us are that way too, right? It's a lot easier to overlook things that people do to us because, you know, you have your own coping strategies and, and stuff like that, but that, that empathy that we have for our loved ones and that, um, that sense of wanting to protect the people that we care about can be a lot stronger than our own sense of self-preservation. Um, I've got a couple of more things I'd like to ask you before we get to our final question. I did because you included those links for health resources. Um, I did want to briefly ask you a little bit about, um, about your work and about, you know, social justice issues related to health and nutrition, uh, for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. So would you be interested in telling us a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, in my work as a registered dietitian, um, working on UA's campus in particular with our students, um, you know, so much of my primary passion has been working with eating disorders and body image. Um, but prior mm-hmm. to that, in my life before UA, I, um, I did work as a clinical dietitian and did a lot of work with diabetes and heart disease. And it's actually mm-hmm. funny because even with eating disorders and and the and more of the chronic 
health conditions or traditional chronic health conditions like diabetes and heart disease um, very much affect the um, the Asian population or Asian American population overall. It's actually been interesting in my work related to body image and eating disorders. Um, when I have worked with um, students who are Asian American or even our international students and, um, and they are coming with disordered eating issues or body image issues, culturally uh, among many Asian families, it's it's this strange um, conundrum or cyclical effect of basically, you know, we have this like delicious culture of food. And so when you go, you're <laughs> constantly encouraged by family members to eat, eat, eat. But then it's once uh-huh. you finish your plate, there's comments about how fat you've gotten. And, uh-huh. um, and, and that was actually something that I uh, experienced myself and, and having an eating disorder that was just, it was always these confusing messages of like, oh my goodness, you need to keep eating. But then it was like, the first comment you would ever hear if you were to get together with a group of family you haven't seen in a while, it wasn't, oh, Sheen, I heard you're doing really great in school. It's, oh, wow, you've gained weight since we last saw you. And oh, um, yeah. and so, you know, that has been really interesting just, you know, from a cultural point of view and even as a clinician um, working in those areas, I thought that that was interesting. And, and for eating disorders in general, I think sometimes people stereotype that as, you know, as a white girl issue. And mm-hmm. um, and it's definitely not. It's, it's an issue that goes across the gender spectrum, you know, the race and ethnicity spectrum. And so I think it's important to note that. Um, Also, Mm -hmm. too, I think, you know, with certain chronic conditions like diabetes that has been prevalent with um, Asian Americans and and, um, some potential typical dietary habits that are involved there. But one thing that I noticed in my own research, because um, I did take it upon myself to choose um, Asians or, or actually Filipinos specifically at the time when I was an undergrad, uh, thinking about health considerations for those populations. But um, for healthcare providers to be very respectful of any kind of I guess, cultural perceptions that um, someone from another country may have in regards to uh, their health. Um, it, mm-hmm. it, I think that, you know, when it comes to um, family members having certain perceptions about how diseases are transferred from one person to another, like, yes, we want to provide them with the education of science, scientifically what is accurate and what is not. But I think not to immediately belittle someone for just some family traditions that were passed on. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I think for a, a healthcare provider to say, oh, wow, that's stupid. Where did you hear that? Um, you know, th- th- I think there's a much more <laughs> life-giving way, um, yeah. for lack of better words, to um, to really respond to some of those, I guess, you know, cultural um perceptions about health and and everything else and to be very respectful while also educating that individual too. And I know that sounds like a very vague and all over the place answer, but I think, um, as I've started to be involved with different um, dietetic practice groups in the American Dietetic Association, there are some specialty groups for working with certain mi- minority populations. And we talk about that all, all the time as far as bedside manner with mm-hmm. certain populations and just being so respectful culturally um, with with different things. And, and I've had to um, experience a lot of that myself in terms of, of teaching myself about certain cultures when I've been aware of 
of, um, of a certain cultural background that uh, a patient and their family member is coming in with because I want to be very respectful of those traditions in order to be the most, pro, uh, uh, to be the most effective healthcare provider for them. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. And, and I think that that you're right. That's so important. And, and again, comes back to this idea of like, for folks who have, have few experiences with people who are different from them, whether they come from a different background or they just have different experiences, it can be really easy to, to dismiss those differences um, as, as, as something wrong with that person or um, as something strange and unusual that should be overlooked or, um, or, you know, corrected without actually taking a moment to, to recognize where those ideas are coming from and and where those experiences are coming from Mm -hmm. and, and to sit with them together and, and hold space for them. Okay, so uh, my last question for you, uh, because our podcast is called the Advocates Academy, and our goal is not only to inform folks about experiences of uh, diverse individuals and, and people from all kinds of backgrounds and knowledge sets and all of that good stuff, uh, we also want to, to the best of our ability, provide folks with best practices and information about how they can be a better ally or advocate to people who have marginalized identities or come from backgrounds that are different from theirs. So do you have any meaningful things that folks can do to be better allies or advocates to folks uh, with Asian American or uh, Pacific Islander heritage? Yes. So, you know, I think probably one of the most effective things that um, someone can do is, is definitely to better educate themselves. And that doesn't necessarily have to be in this extremely formal way. But I think that if there are people in your in your life that um, that are of Asian American heritage, just having some genuine conversation, and you know, I, I've definitely had experiences where people have asked me in just such a, a genuine way of like, hey, tell me about your experiences. You know, and you know, I mm-hmm. I know you're Filipino, but I just want to know, you know, what has that been like for you? And um, because I, I think that um if you come off just very, you know, just genuine in your eagerness, it's it, it it's so much easier for someone who is part of that community to respond versus being like, hey, I know you're different from me. Like tell me about it. You know, there's definitely, yeah, some tact to, to the way that you, that you ask. And if, if you are in a situation where, you know, maybe you, um, you know, don't currently have, um, folks in your social circles that are um, Asian American Pacific Islander, you know, some of the different websites that, um, that I had shared as resources mm-hmm. can just be a really great starting ground for what kind of social issues do come up for Asian Americans? Because it, it may not be um, so obvious to someone, you know, somebody might think, what, you know, they're experiencing racism. What they're, you know, people are getting angry during the coronavirus. You know, it's just this lack yeah. of awareness overall. So I think just having a general idea um, can be helpful. So it's really, I think, just about some self education, engaging in meaningful conversation, um, so that when you are um, in different um, 
environments or capacities where the ability to advocate and be an active ally comes up, you have that true sense of empathy and understanding of what those issues Mm -hmm. are. Um, So I think, you know, that a lot of that just really comes from just having this genuine understanding or having had engaged in genuine conversation of, of what that's been like. And a lot of it could be similar to the kind of conversation that you and I have had today, Lizzie, but it, but not necessarily in such a formal format, but just really, (laughs) you know, kind of getting to know what somebody's experience was. Cause I think sometimes it's not anyone's fault, but we just, we live in our bubbles and it's cool to just have that good cup of coffee with someone or that cup of tea or whatever your beverage of choice is mm-hmm. and just, you know, sit up and, and talk and, and listen about each other's experiences. Because I think, you know, even now for me, sometimes I'm, I don't think that I'm always as aware of certain experiences that my colleagues have had that are from more majority populations because I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't grow up that way. So I like kind of asking questions too. And, um, yeah. and you know, one thing that I will, um, say, and, and this can make it on the podcast or not, but I remember, um, having some conversations with my mom. It, it might've been sometime last year. I don't know how the topic came up, but, um, we were talking about the, I guess, the first year that my uh, parents had moved to the U.S. and again to a very small town in Alabama. And uh-huh. my dad was working, but my mom was staying home um, and then had, had gotten pregnant with me. And, you know, I, unfortunately, I have heard the comment before from um, people in general. Sometimes they'll say, like, oh, well, all you Asians look the same. Like, I've heard that uh. so many times. And, you know, and that, you know, it just makes my skin crawl. And I was talking to my mom about that. And she was like, well, Sheena, you know, honestly, she was like, I remember when we first moved to the U.S., like, I thought all white people kind of looked the same at first. Like, it was very <laughs> overwhelming to her. Like, you know, anyone yeah. who was blonde, you know, she kind of all lumped them in the same category, you know, brunettes mm-hmm. and, and everything else. And I really appreciated her candor with that uh, because I think it was, you know, it really, you know, taught me too that maybe just as humans in general or as a society, we don't always take the time to really appreciate um, the differences that we have from one person to another. You know, I think that somebody yeah. else could probably take my mom's comment as like, oh my gosh, that's so terrible. But she was just being really <laughs> transparent with me and she was doing it uh, in response to my irritation that people have done that to people of our culture when she was like, look, she was like, I've done the same thing, but the flip side, because she was like, I was just overwhelmed at first. And I had, you know, this is my first time seeing like this group of people. And so that just kind of gave me some newfound perspective in terms of just really, um, giving grace to people and not always assuming that they're coming from this malicious or ignorant or, you know, like meanly ignorant point of view, but it's just a matter of conversation and education. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate that perspective um, and, and the information that you shared there, because I do think that so much of being a good advocate or an ally is just seeking to understand people who are different from us mm-hmm. um, and, and genuinely coming to that table with uh, respect for difference and, and a desire to, to understand and to, to share in return. So. 
That's wonderful. Um, for those of you that are listening, all of the resources that Sheena has uh, discussed with us and, and referenced are going to be provided in the show description, so you can access them there. Um, but yeah, Sheena, do you have anything else that you want to share with us today? I don't think so. This was a great interview. I, I just um, am excited that I've had this platform to share these experiences. I don't think that I really ever articulated them in um in a formal way like this. So just thank you so much for having me today. Sheena, thanks again for helping me put this episode together. To our listeners, thank you as well for joining in today. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Sheena as much as I did, and I appreciate you sticking with us as I muddled my way through our conversation. As always, if there's a topic you'd like to learn more about or a person you think we should speak with, you can send your suggestions and requests to me via email at easmith11 at ua.edu. If you're listening in today and you appreciate the content we're putting out, don't forget to give us a review wherever you get your podcast and share this podcast with friends and family and colleagues. We're always looking to grow our listener base and you can be a huge help in doing that by just letting other people know that we're out here. This podcast was brought to you by the Women and Gender Resource Center at the University of Alabama. The mission of the WGRC is to address gender inequity and foster a community that values social justice, safety, leadership, mentoring, education, multiculturalism, partnership, and research. This is accomplished by gender-related outreach, advocacy, and support to individuals and communities of all identities. If you'd like to learn more about the programs and resources our office provides, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website, wgrc.sa.ua.edu.